Good morning. Glad you're here. Welcome. It's holiday weekend. We love these kind of weekends, and I hope you have a, a good time of reprieve a little bit with your family and friends, whatever you have planned. Open your Bibles to Romans chapter 10 if you have them with you this morning. We come to a familiar passage of Scripture. If you've been a Christian very long, you're aware of this text, but it's always, it's always a refreshing one. It's always a challenging one, uh, and, and it extends beyond what it first sounds like it's dealing with. Paul has been, been uh, talking about all the, the essence of the gospel. What does the good news of Jesus really mean? And in these few chapters here, he's... he's stunned us and his readers by the, the moving together of the Jew and the Gentiles into one family, a new Israel, as he calls them. But right here, we have a, a text that challenges us in just our lives and how we're living them. You know, I drive a, a 2003 Honda CRV. I've driven for 14 years now. For the last nine years, the check engine light has been on. <laughs> I haven't taken it too seriously. Uh, because the car seems to be running fine. Uh, what, what, what really could be bad? Uh, also, it may cost too much, and so if I don't find out, uh, what I won't, don't know won't hurt me, right? And it's not going to uh, affect my, my checking account. And, and frankly, I have a hard time surrendering my car for a day or two to get worked on. I need my car. You know, when Jesus was here, part of his teaching was he wanted us to, he wanted us to grasp the fact that we have a new nature when we come to Jesus. And that nature is that we become light. We are light in a dark world. We're sort of a, a light that captures the attention of people by the way we live, by the way we speak, by the message that we have in our lives, by who Christ has become to us. And I think uh, many people ignore the light, uh, maybe for some of the reasons I ignore my, my check engine light. You know, simply because, ah, life seems to be good enough as it is. Uh, well, how could it be any better? Some people just know it's going to cost them if they're going to follow Jesus. And I think, frankly, people just have our time surrendering. They're going to have to give up their lives to follow someone as their Lord. And that's hard to do for many people. We, by nature, want to be in charge of our own lives. We do not want people, anyone telling us, including our Creator, uh, how to live our lives. We don't want to be answerable to that. Well, we, we need to deal with that. We need to deal with how God uses us as light in this world and engages the world. So this text is, a, is just an important one, a significant one for us. Verse 9, chapter 10. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. For it's with your heart that you believe and are justified. It's with your mouth that you, are, you profess your faith and are saved. As scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? How can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? How can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they're sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Here's what's necessary if we're going to be serious about what God has called us to be as light in this world. First of all, we need hearts that are transformed. For the believer, something has happened to us. A renovation 
has taken place from within. We are not the people we once were, as God has outlined redemption and what it means to know him as Savior and Lord. Now, that evidence is seen in a number of ways. We love the scripture in a way that we didn't before. We, we value the time in worship. We love being with other believers like ourselves. But if we are not moved by the condition of people outside of a relationship with Jesus Christ, our hearts have not yet been transformed to the degree that God is trying to do in us. He changes us within, and in changing that heart, the desire of our heart changes, and our whole view of the world is transformed. We have a new perspective about people, about the conditions of people's lives. Really, the truest evidence of a transformed heart is we have, we have this, this passion within us. We have this drive where we must see ourselves reproduced in another person. We must see ourselves reproduced in another person. We have to make disciples. A lack of mission reveals a counterfeit faith. And when I use the word mission there, I'm not talking about global mission. I'm talking about God's mission in the world. And God's mission is about getting as many people to him as possible. And we are the ones, of course, that he uses. Now, we are called to, to believe in Jesus from the inside out. Now, a person, in our culture, this is the problem. Because a, a person can claim to be a Christian, and they mean by that, I'm a really nice, good person, and I believe God exists. And therefore, you know, they, they term themselves a Christian. And in fact, we let their definition of Christian affect us. If they feel okay, then who am I to say? And that's, not, that's just not how it works. You know, we can put the name of Jesus in a lot of places or God's name places, even say that we believe in him, but that doesn't, that doesn't mean a person is saved. There has to be a living relation with Christ. When I go to Ghana, it's always humorous to see Jesus Christ Beauty Parlor, you know, and Christ the Savior Hardware Store. They plaster his name at different places to somehow impress God that his name is being used. But they don't follow Christ at all. And sometimes I worry about that in our own lives. We have enough of God, enough of the name of God, enough of the name of Jesus to make us feel better about ourselves. My wife and I will have been married next month 40 years. And when, when we got married, the preacher asked, will you take her to be your wedded wife? Which sounds rather redundant to me. Wedded wife? Anyway, uh, I didn't stop and think about it. I didn't say, can I rephrase that? Because I would like to have a cook, a child raiser, and somebody who's going to take good care of me. She would say, Hit the road, Jack. <laughs> you ain't come back no more. No, that's what she would have said. And I would have deserved that. Because when you come to this relationship, a marriage, a covenant relationship, it's connected wholly to a person that you become one with and you, you begin thinking alike. You, you grow together. There is, a, there is a bond. That's what happens when we were baptized into Jesus Christ. We were joined with Jesus. Not only were we forgiven and the power of the Holy Spirit comes in us, but also we are united with Jesus. That means we're also united with his very purpose in the world, which is to get people to him. So, a lack of living that reveals perhaps a counterfeit faith. 
A lack of mission zeal also reveals a cautious faith. As some, uh, it's been said often that many will miss eternal life by 18 inches, the distance between the head and the heart. Because there are a lot of people, even in our ministry area, would say they believe that Jesus was born of a virgin, that he did miracles, that he died on the cross, that he resurrected from the dead and ascended to heaven. They would believe that heaven exists, but they are not sold out to him. It's an intellectual kind of thing, a religion that they have, kind of a safe acknowledgement intellectually, but there's no real, real a welcome of God's mission into life. Zeal is evident that we've been with Jesus. And if there's not zeal about God's mission, We haven't spent enough time with him. That's just the bottom line. When Jesus went to his hometown, by God's providence, he was asked to read the scripture that day. And they hand him the scroll, and he read this prophecy about himself out of Isaiah. The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This is why we partnership with Active Grace to announce good news to the poor. This is why we partner with Lifeline to announce good news to the poor in Haiti. It's why uh, some of our men go to the prison here in Plainfield every Sunday night to announce good news to the incarcerated. It's why we support fame. They devote themselves to medical evangelism in third world countries to use as an open door to communicate about the good news of Christ Jesus. The chestnuts we support in Kosovo because that nation of people so oppressed by the emptiness of Islam. Uh, We announce the good news through Austin Ganyo and Amanda in in Ghana. By the way, he's preaching next Sunday. You won't want to miss that. Already this year's ministry has baptized 400 people into Christ in Ghana. And here's the oppression of fetish religion and pagan religion. And there's oppression in those religions. And so our mission dollars go there to support them. Why? For the sake of the gospel. Now, that's just globally. And, and you know, I've heard people say, why don't we spend all this? Why don't we send 15% of our money uh, uh, over to other countries? We have so many needs here. Or some people say, why do we spend so much money on ourselves when there's so many countries that that need need Christ? The, the, The question is, we don't have a choice. God has called us to do both. But my problem is so often is I think because we have have given money elsewhere that we've taken care of God's mission and nothing could be further from the truth. If you are not, if I am not engaged with this community, our communities where we come from today for the sake of the gospel, the good news of Christ. You know, when I was in ninth grade and got to take biology, man, was I looking forward because it meant dissection. And how disappointed I was when they gave me a worm. (laughs) I remember thinking, are you kidding me? This is what I get? But I graduated to frog level. It was great because there were juices and there was gushiness and goo and residue and things like that and organs actually to take out of the frog, right? Wasn't that a fun part? It was. I've heard that biology teachers can invest in an online program by which there is a virtual dissection of a frog. You can dissect a frog bloodlessly, ghoulessly, very clean. You never have to smell formaldehyde. Now, I'm sure there's some things you can learn that way, but I have a hard time believing 
it's as effective as the real thing. What we want to do somehow is accomplish, none of us here are against God's purpose in the world, right? That's why we're here. We're not against God's purpose. We just want to do it with our hands clean. We want to do it somehow that I don't have to get dirty in it, that I don't have to really get engaged with the harshness of the world and and people's lives that are ugly and not knowing how to do and walk with them because that takes time. It takes investment. It takes involvement. It costs me something. We want an easy way to accomplish it. And friends, it's not to happen that way. It's not going to happen that way. It happens as we build friendships with people. It happens as we realize the, the condition of people's lives. We have to have mouths to testify as well. Because if hearts are transformed, mouths will testify. Now this text is often used by preachers and believers to tell a person how to get to Jesus, how to be saved. That's not what this passage is about. It's not about a formula for salvation. If you just confess with your mouth, Jesus Lord, you're going to be saved. In the bigger context, Paul's not writing unbelievers. He's writing to followers of Jesus. And he's saying one of the ways that you give evidence that you belong to him indeed is that you're always confessing with your life and with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. That's what we do. Our words, those words flow out of our conviction about that. It doesn't say if you believe in your heart that Jesus is Savior. Doesn't say that. It says Lord. Too many times we have demoted him from Lord to Savior merely. We Christians, we preachers have done a disservice. We've invited people to receive Jesus as their Savior and not included the word Lord. In the New Testament, Jesus is referred to as Savior about 13 times. He's referred to as Lord more than 600 times. We have no problem. On the Savior part, we have a great problem with the Lord part. I know we do because we are not doing what we're supposed to be doing. We're not. He's commanded us to make disciples. And to not do that is refusing to obey him as Lord. If you expect church staff to do that, if you think that's for the elite in God's kingdom to do, you're badly mistaken. When you, when you welcome Jesus as your Savior and Lord, you are also accepting his great commandment and commissioning on your life to love all people to a new life in Christ. Our words flow from our compulsion then. We must speak. We must speak. Those apostles said, we can't help but speak about the things that we have seen and heard. That compulsion to speak flows out of our conviction. That's why we have to keep revisiting. Do you really think people are lost? I'm not sure we do. This is a problem. We build relationships with nice people that are good to us, and we forget if a person does not have a growing, living relationship with Jesus Christ, putting all their weight on him as the only hope they have, Sins are upon him. They are, they, are, they are born again because of him. 
and he is Lord, if they're not in that living relationship as Lord and Savior, the Bible says they are lost, they are dead, and they are objects of God's wrath. Do you know that? That is part of the conviction where the compulsion comes to speak when we really see people that way. Now, the church has done a very bad job in many times by, by being naysayers and condemners and, 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 and negative about the world. And enough of that. You know, that's, that's not what we're called to do. We have this, there's this heaviness, a heaviness on our heart that we must speak. I must say something. Haven't you had other kinds of issues in your life where you say, boy, I've got to say something to that person. It could be about whatever. Uh, you have to. Now, today, if you're here and you're trying to figure all this out and you haven't surrendered to Christ, I hope you hear our hearts here and Jesus' purpose. And I hope in the midst of all this, you hear how intensely God loves you. He loves you so much, and he wants you to join with the greatest work in the world. And I hope you'll walk with us toward that. This is for the family today. Jesus said, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So what's most likely to come out of your heart? Colts? Doubtful right now. You know, uh, you, you know your vacation plans? Your, your aches and pains? Your job misery? Or your successes? Your kids, grandkids. I asked somebody, have I shown you a kid a picture of my grandkids? He said, no, and I appreciate it. <laughs> Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. It ought to be the most natural thing in the world for us to be looking at any opportunity to say something of our Lord. Small ways or great ways, whatever that looks like. I think we have to pray for wisdom. We have to pray for open eyes. We have to pray for opportunities. We have to pray for the right words to speak with the right spirit when those occasions come. It could be as little as planting seeds with the checkout person. Having a good day, they say. God's blessed me so much, yes. Now, maybe you're having a crummy day. But it's still true, God's blessed you so much, right? So we look at, but more importantly, with those that, 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 that we engage with just around, please know today I'm preaching myself. I mean, for crying out loud, I'm a preacher. And I need this message because I had to confess a reunion last week that, you know, Diane and I have neighbors that only rarely have ever spoken to about, about faith. What is wrong with me? It's shameful. And so Diane and I have started a plan on how we're going to engage our neighbors more uh, with intention, just to enjoy them, just to be with them, to maybe in time earn the right to be heard and have a spiritual conversation. It'll probably take a while. But it won't happen without some kind of, some kind of strategy, Right? But when Jesus came, you know, I really believed he just loved being with people. And you got to love people. Sometimes we ministers have jokes saying, boy, we'd love the ministry if it weren't for people. <laughs> we just say that in jest. Jesus loved, do you love people? Do you just love being with people for who they are? It's where it starts. And then, 
And then we, we speak. It says, out of our heart, when God, when God has affected our hearts, we can't help but speak. Jesus said, if you confess me before my before people, I will confess you before my Father in heaven. And he also said, not everybody who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. And the will of the Father has made, been made very clear. He doesn't want anybody to perish, but everybody to come to repentance. Therefore, it's the greatest work in the world when we join him in the world. We, we bear it with him. And we need feet that carry the good news. Jesus, or Roman, ah, Paul quotes in Romans here from Isaiah the prophet. Here's the full verse out of Isaiah 52, 7. How beautiful in the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. That simple message is one of redemption and forgiveness available through Jesus Christ. That, that they were lost, were dead objects of wrath without, without him. We are called and commanded. Do you realize that? This is not just for me, the preacher. It's for you as a follower of Jesus Christ. Take your shoes and socks off. Go ahead. Take your shoes and socks off. Now, maybe if you have a foot disease, you don't want to. But You know, I don't know about you. I just think feet are really weird. I'm not a foot person. You know. Uh, I, I get cracked heels in winter. They bleed sometimes. I mean, they're, they're really painful. And I get ingrown toenails all the time. I know I'm not clipping them right. I know that's the problem, you know. <laughs> Got to dig them out of there, you know. And I'm so old now, it's hard to clip my toenails anyway. I can't get there very well, <laughs> you know. You, know my, you may have bunions. You may have corns. But, you know, God wants to look at our feet and call them Beautiful. Um, my wife had uh, reconstructive surgery on a foot a few years ago. And, uh, you know, she had to do that to, uh, so her feet could function like they're supposed to function. I think this church needs reconstructive surgery on her feet. Why do I know that? I know that because we're a church of about 3,000 members. And this year so far, we have baptized 50 adults into Christ. Something's wrong with that picture. It tells me that we are not engaging the world as we ought. Listen, friends, I tell you, including me. And as our church grows, I have more and more meetings. I have more and more kinds of counseling things and emails. And what happens is, what gets pushed out is time spent with unbelievers. And I've got to figure this out. I've got to figure this out, how I'm going to be obedient to Christ and what I've been called to do. This word beautiful is nadad in the Hebrew language. It means they're like, uh, I'm going to say it in too many words, but it's like they're designed in a way to fulfill their purpose. They're beautiful because they're appropriate. They are fitting for, which the, for that which, for which they've been designed. When we are transformed from the inside out, our feet are transformed included. They're transformed that when we leave this place, we understand we are being sent to be light in the world, to be salt in a spoiling culture where we are called to be Jesus 
wherever we go. Do you know that? You are Jesus because we're called the body of Christ. We're members of him. And we're to live lives that are becoming of him with marriages that are healthy, that are beautiful, relationship with kids that are, that are markedly different from what people see. And as, as we carry this message, friends, it takes words. What if Jesus came and he said, oh, I'm just going to be a good example. How much would have been accomplished? What if he never taught? So those of you who say, well, I'm just going to be a silent witness, that's not going to cut it. The gospel is communicated with words as well as life. That's why we must speak. How beautiful are those feet when they go to the mountains? The mountains here refers to where people are. It didn't say how beautiful are the feet of those who, when they go to church, although you should, or when you go to build. When did Jesus get in trouble? He got in trouble at church or in synagogues and temple, in the temple where the religious folks were. Those, that's where he got into trouble. Where, where did he do his ministry? He did it on the streets. He did it in the marketplace. And when he went to homes, houses of people whose lives were so messed up. Friends, we need a lot more messed up people here. Obviously, we have a number of messed up people here today, right? Uh, but we, we need a building filled with messed up, ruined people who know they have no hope, who need love desperately by God's people, his body, Jesus. What's your mountain look like? It's where you go to school. It's where you go to work. It's where you engage with people in your neighborhood. It's the world you go into I don't know anything about. That's where you go. How beautiful are the feet on the mountains who preach and speak to, the, to Zion. You know that word Zion, the root word means parched places. There are a lot of parched places, aren't there? Divorce courts, juvenile courts, classrooms and our schools, secular university campuses, people trying to get their thirst quenched in some other way. Please understand today, you know, I, 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 I love what we do together. I love Christian fellowship. I love worship. I love being with the people I'm with and studying the word. But I fear we're in far too many Bible studies. We're far too many Christian friends, and we don't have enough unbelieving friends. Can I challenge you to make some unbelieving friends? Just to win the right to be heard. It may take you a year. It, may, it may, may take longer, less, I don't know. But let's have a plan. Let's every one of us have a plan. What would happen if we all take Jesus' word seriously, Paul's word seriously? Wouldn't you like Jesus to look at you one day and say, man, you had tremendously beautiful feet. I love your feet. Because wherever you went, you were looking for a way to work me into your conversations. Christ's feet were pierced for you along with his hands by his love for us, his heart for us. He was nailed there, fastened there. 
that you and I may have life today. How can we not but declare the good news of Jesus? So today is a day of repentance. It's a day of action. Let's pray together. And so, Father, forgive us. Please forgive me. And move us. That Christ will be made known. In him we pray.